would tell me stories about the Bible, make me memorize them. And when people came over, he put a board up and I'd explain everything, you know, even like revelations, like the, when God would come and take us away and I would explain it and draw it out for people. And my dad, it wasn't that he forced me, I actually really enjoyed doing this. Um, and so I had everything in my life from what time I wanted to be married to when I wanted to have kids, um, what time I wanted to finish my undergrad, when I wanted to finish my, my graduate degree, and it all went according to plan this entire time. So I finished my, my MBA and I was moved back to LA and I said, what am I gonna do, you know? Started my career and I, I didn't even wanna interview for this job and I got the job and I ended up meeting my husband there. Um, and it was just, everything was just like a perfect story. Um, there was nothing I, I, I wanted more though than to be a mother because ever since I was little, um, I wanted to be a mother and I knew that that was something that I was gonna be so good at, you know? So when my, um, I have a half brother that lives in Dallas, he had um, the first children and I practically moved in when I was like 13 and took care of those babies like they were my own. And they would choose me over their mom, which said a lot. And um, I just knew, like, I'm going to be such a good mom. So we had our first baby, and it was perfect. And I was so in love with him, and I said, okay, I think we're ready for our second baby, you know? And we planned that, and it worked out just like we thought it would. <laughs> and, um, and it was a girl. And we were so excited. We were like, we're a boy and a girl, and we're good, and we're done, and this is it, you know? Um, so I'm gonna tell you about her. So this is gonna be my third baby that I'm carrying now. Um, nine months next week, so she's around the corner now. So while I start, um, I've broken this, I'm really organized, I broke this whole thing up in five different parts so nobody gets confused as to where I'm going. Um, so for part two, I want you to keep two verses in mind. Um, the first one is Jeremiah 29, 11, and it's going to come up on the board. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. In Psalms 27, 13, I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart in waiting for the Lord. I was due April 11, but Emmy never turned around. And I tried everything. I tried bouncing in a ball. I tried laying backwards on the bed. I mean, we tried it all with my husband, but she wouldn't turn. She was really stubborn. So I went in on April 5th at 11. Well, we got there at 9. And it was a scheduled C-section. And I was freaked out because Nathan was a natural birth. And I, you know, C-section, you hear all these stories and scars. And um, I was really disappointed that I was going to have to have a C-section. So I went in there, and as I 
was, I was crying already, and the nurse was just putting the IV. And she says, am I hurting you? And I said, no. And so she's like, why are you crying? And I'm like, because of, you know, I'm not scared. I'm just a little nervous, that's all. But in my heart, I knew there was something, something that didn't feel right. So, but me and my husband were so excited. We were so excited. Um, I mean, you're having a new baby, and I, I don't know how many of you are mothers, not many of you, I assume, but um, it's so exciting that you're getting your first baby. Or that you're just having a baby in general, having you feel these emotions, and you know, it's just, it's something you can't explain even if people explain it to you. You have this baby and then you're like, whoa, like nobody told me. Even if they would have told you, you would never believe it. So we go into this room. They um, set me up for C-section. There's like, I don't know, like nine people in that room. And that was overwhelming because everybody's running around, you know, for if anything happens, they're ready for you. Um, so I just wanted to know how much you weighed because the doctors kept telling me that I had to gain more weight. So I was eating like crazy and I had gained 35 pounds and the baby was still like growing really. It's growing, but she was growing slower. So they just thought, you know, they did every testing and he was checked three times a week, but it was just a small baby. So the first thing when she came out, I could feel it. I didn't hear her, but I could feel her come out. I said, how much does she weigh? And the doctor said, don't worry about that right now. And I said, okay, you know, and I couldn't hear Emmy. And then um, and then I heard her, you know, and then she, you know, you hear and you see in the movies when it's quiet, it's so bad thing. Um, but then I heard her cry and she was like, she wasn't crying, she was kind of whimpering and my husband was next to her. I couldn't see her um, because you're laying down this whole time so you can't move and they have this squishy in front of you. So all you can see is your husband right next to you. You can't even see the doctors. Um, but you're so drunk because it is insane. Like your stomach is like slashed open. Um, you, you can't, you know, you, you just like half out. You're half there and half not. Um, so then they're like taking her away. And so, um, you know, I said, what's wrong with her? And so they, they roll her past me as the first time I, I see her. And she was so... So beautiful. So they stopped her there and she looked right at me. And we connected for the first time, you know. It was so such a different experience than with my son because I got to hold him immediately when he came out. And so I said to the doctor, what's wrong with her? And he said, there's nothing wrong with her. She's going to be fine. And I really think um, he's currently my doctor now and he really did believe that because she looked so perfect um so they wrote me away to the recovery room and my husband is gone with the baby so i'm laying there by myself with the nurse and i keep asking her like what's wrong with the baby and she's like she's gonna be fine she's gonna be fine you know it's gonna be okay and then my husband walks in and uh if, I don't know how many of you guys know my husband, but he's the happiest person that I've ever met. I mean, he used to be my boss, and it used to drive me crazy how happy he was. It was just annoying me. And I was I'm pretty happy all the time, and my husband would just drag me up the wall, you know? It's just like, calm down, you know? It's like me on steroids. And so he walks in, and he had this face, and he didn't even have to say anything to me, I knew. 
that it was bad. Is I said, how bad is it? He said, we don't know, but it's bad. And so it was a Saturday, so we the testings and the nurses, there's just not enough people on staff for the uh, testings to come back. So we, uh, the next four days, um, we just, it was all a, it was, it's so much, so much fog that I just remember being so sad and like, I took my drugs and I would call for them to come even sooner because all I wanted to do was sleep. I couldn't see her until I was able to walk in. If any of you have had a C-section, it's not easy to walk right after. But I made myself walk like 10 hours after the surgery to go see her, but they wanted me to get off the wheelchair. So I went to go see her and she was perfect. She was this little five pounder and she was happy as can be in her little, you know, the incubator they had her in. And so the doctor's coming on a Tuesday and they say, uh, you know, she has a chromosome disorder. So she has an extra chromosome, the number 18. So her, which means pretty much that um, it's incompatible with life and she doesn't have very long to live. Best case scenario, she'll probably live two weeks if you're lucky. So they said you have a decision to make. You know, you can uh, try to keep her on all, all these cords and we'll, we'll take hospice care. And so that means that somebody comes to your house and connects the feeds through a tube and everything. Um, or you can just take her home and make her happy for as long as you can. So, um, you know, we had family there and everybody was coming in and saying, you know, to trust in God and like listen to God. It's, you know, I remember my brother, he came in there and he was so powerful. And he really, you know, he was just like, no, we're not going to believe this. Don't confess it, Carla. But you know what? All I could think about was, why? Why did you do this, God? You know, and I felt so angry with him. I was so angry. I didn't even want to hear his name. All I said was, in my mind, you know, I was thinking like, how does this happen? Like, what did I do? You know, like my friend so-and-so just had a baby a week ago, God, like, why couldn't this happen to her baby and not mine? And I grew up in a Christian home, a very Christian home. And everything that I had been raised with, I didn't believe anymore. It was on the door, you know, and I said, this, this is so, I couldn't believe it. It was like, <sighs> that God had failed me and I didn't know that he existed anymore. Because it's different death when a child dies. I've learned that um, children are supposed to, you know, traditionally live to outlive you. You're not supposed to bury your own child, you know? I think um, when you're pregnant, you go through these nine, well, really 10 months of, of hopes and dreams with your child, and then come to find out the day that you see them, you don't know that they're gonna be around anymore. Um, it's something that I hope no one ever has to go through, you know? So, needless to say, I have, I was asking myself, do I believe anymore? 
are you really just God? You know, like everybody says you are. And, and how could you allow this to happen to me? Like, have you abandoned me, I thought? And hearing everyone's hope made me so sick. I didn't want to hear it. You know, I, I remember my, uh, my cousin, who's married to my mom's niece. <laughs> he is so happy, and Oscar came in, and he went to pray for Emmy with my husband. And um, they came back in, and they were crying, and they were so happy, and they said um, that Emmy started moving around and responding to their prayer, and the nurses were like, what did you guys just say to her, you know? And they were like, we just prayed over her life. And they're like, that was amazing. Like, she completely knew that you were talking to her. And I was thinking, like, okay, great. What's that going to do? You know? Like, it's not going to make her live longer, you know? So that was the part where everything just kind of tumbled for me. Um, even seeing my husband be stronger and what I thought was stronger, and um, believing and continue to tell me like, we're gonna get through this, you know? I was thinking like, I don't want, I, I didn't want him in there because he was being positive and I didn't feel like anything that was going on was positive. So, Emmy lived eight days and April 13th is the day that Emmy passed away. So I'm going to read you Romans 8:38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Emmy died in my arms, and it was a very difficult thing to. So for months I had nightmares seeing what I saw, but I didn't want anybody else to be in there. They offered us a service where somebody comes and just stays until the baby dies. But I wanted her to be with me, and so I stayed with her until she went back to her father. And at that moment, it, death became real, you know, and my life completely paused. And I was looking for, for reasons why I was punished. I was looking for blame. Who was to blame for this? And then, you know, obviously the enemy took advantage of that, and he was going through every part of my life and saying, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. And it felt, it felt so bad. It was physical pain and it didn't even, my C-section didn't even hurt. It was more like my heart was so heavy that I couldn't bear with it. So they gave me a lot of painkillers at the hospital. And even though I didn't need them because I didn't feel any pain, one night, I said, you know what, this is just way too painful for me. I cannot handle this. I can't. You know, it's like as much as my mom was there and my sisters were there, they just couldn't understand what it was. 
Even my husband, I was jealous that he wasn't the one who had to carry her. You know, because it's something different when you feel the life inside of you and then it slips away so quickly that you can't. There's nothing worse than knowing you can't do anything for your child. It's just hopelessness. It's like this dark place where I went. And it really felt like there was no turning back from them. So I considered taking the whole bottle of pills that they had given me. And um, I felt like my husband was super smart. Nathan is so loved by my family. At the time, he was the only grandchild. So I figured he's going to be OK, you know? I'm going to go, you know, wherever I'm going to go, and hopefully I get to see my baby again. A couple of days before that, um, one of Eric's co-workers um, brought a book that his wife wanted me to read and left it at the door. And I had started reading it. And it was how to cope with the, the death of a child. And that night, I was like, I'm going to pick up the book and read for a little bit. And right where I opened the page, it was a testimony in the book about a mother whose baby had died too. And she's sitting in the rocking chair. And she's holding the bottle of pills. And she's about to take them because it just hurts too bad for her to continue. But she walks into the next bedroom and she sees her husband and her little two-year-old in the crib. And she says, I can't do it. And then it dawned on me, like, what am I thinking? I can't go down that road. I have to come back from here. I can't go further, and I'm going to end up in a place, and this is going to bring me even more pain. It's not going to be a resolution to anything. So how and when did I see God in this? Isaiah 41.10 So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So, Emmy was a baby that shouldn't have made it. Most of these babies died before they were even given birth to. But she caught, she made it all the way through. She never turned, which I was now really thankful for because um, if they do make it to, to term, they die in the birth canal because they are just not that, not that strong. So that I even got to keep her as many days I did, um, I was very thankful for that. Once everything started clearing and I started seeing how God was there all this time. How Emmy, the day we almost, the day we were supposed to take her home, all the nurses and like the directors of the hospital came into her to our room and said, we want to know what you guys are doing. Why are you guys so strong? What's going on? You know, can you tell us what, what's your hope? Because 
We've seen this so many times and we've seen the hopelessness in people. And I was, in this time, I was just like, what are you talking about? I was sitting there and I didn't want anybody to bother me. I just wanted to hold my baby and keep her. So I was like, what? And my husband starts talking to me and said, it's God. It's God and he preaches to this room full of nurses. And they're all crying and saying, we've never seen someone act the way you do. So we know that whatever you believe in, it's real. You know? And then they remembered how Emmy responded to prayer and they said that baby knew what you guys were doing. So without her even staying that long, she ministered to this room full of nurses that some of them were believers. They see death every day by hope, right? A couple of weeks after I'm laying in bed and I can't get out of bed, so my mother-in-law was sweet enough to take care of my son for me for weeks. And I'm laying in bed and I can't get up and I don't want to eat and I don't want to do anything. And I fall asleep. And I wake up in my dream. And I see the Lord. And he's standing right in front of me. And I be standing right in front of him. And she's a toddler. And she's so happy. I couldn't see her face, but I knew it was her. And she's, I'm reaching out to her with my arms. And I want to hold her. And I say, God, I just want to hold her one last time. Let me see her. And he says, she's with me now. holding out my arms and I, I said thank you I just wanted to know I knew she was with you but I wanted to see her I just wanted to see that she she was happy where she is and I could feel her joy she was so happy she probably would have never came back if she had the choice <laughs> and I wouldn't blame her that book delivered to the house that wasn't a coincidence that was a book that was meant for me to read that night before I did something that I would have regretted that my family would have been really sad about. I am a planner, like I said. I mean, this baby hasn't, this baby's nursery has been planned since, I mean, months and months ago. Her nursery is like, there's nothing missing in there right now. For Emmy, for some reason, I felt like I was betraying Nathan. And I never changed anything in her house. Nothing, not one pink thing. I mean, there was like maybe five drawers full of clothes for Emmy, and that was pretty much all she had. And a little bassinet that wasn't even pink, it was brown. And I felt guilty, you know, I felt like, why don't I feel like building a nursery is so weird. But that was also my father protecting me from further pain. It was just going to be hard to put everything away and go through peace and peace and peace. It's been hard for her clothes that everybody was so generous and gave me um, now. But imagine coming back from a, a hospital and a room, an empty room, and there's no baby. It would have been, it made it, would have, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know what it would have made me feel. We attend some groups every month of uh, people who uh, have experienced a similar thing to us. And you can see the hopelessness in that room. You can feel the hopelessness in that 
people in there that believed in God at one point and now think that God is a joke, that God doesn't exist, that there's nothing, of, the hope is, they laugh at hope. But like I said, my husband goes in there every month and he indirectly preaches and says, no, you know what? I'm the kind of guy that looks at the glass half full. And he says, I'm really happy that this is happening and I'm grateful for this part of that. And at first it would annoy me and I'd sit there and be like, hey, this is like a depression girl, dude. Like, get it together. <laughs> but no, like, Eric was there and he would sit and he'd be like, I am really, I'm feeling good about this this month. I've been struggling with this, but this feels really good this month. And we've made friends there and they can see how, without even talking about God, because we're not really allowed to talk about God, they know that that's what's holding us together. And I have a blog that I've shared with them where I talk a lot about the Lord, and a couple of the people are now reading it that don't no longer believe in God. And I see where we could be, but we're not. Because we've allowed God to rescue our hearts when something, I mean, there's nothing worse when your whole world tumbles and you just feel like there's nothing you can do and there's no one who can make it better. But if you can see past it and you can see when the Lord was there and when he never left, you come back even stronger. And Emmy did a lot of things. My mom was detected with breast cancer in 2002. And she's taken the green route to it. So she does a lot of natural, you know, not wanting to do any chemo, not wanting to do any radiation. And when Emmy passed, she decided she was going to go into treatment. And it was just the perfect timing because it was just starting to spread to her lungs. So that would have been level four, which is the worst type of cancer you can have. And within months, my mom was in full therapy. She was taking chemo and radiation, and I was there with her every step of the way. And it was nice to see that Emmy had just an effect because she made death real. I think a lot of the time we don't talk about that and it's a subject we're not allowed to talk about or just don't know what to say and you're scared of talking about it but it's real you know and God God he he doesn't just work one way you know sometimes you want him to do things in a particular way but that's not the way he wants it you know so my mom is now almost completely out of the gray area and she's getting stronger every every day. So what did what did Emmy teach us there? Is that it's okay to ask for help in non-traditional ways. You know, it's okay to ask questions. And it's okay 
to go through different methods to see God. It doesn't all have to be the same way. It's not what you expect or demand of God, but it's the way that He's going to do things. So, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. This actually got from Veggie Tales. <laughs> so my son recently got into Veggie Tales, and we've been listening in to like replay this Moses story over and over and over. And so when this little character goes to jail, and everybody is just hits this bad thing after bad thing after bad thing, but he keeps saying, "But the Lord, He loves me." And the um, the jail guy says, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that God loves you very much. So why do these things keep happening to you?" And he's like, "I'm not sure, but I know that it all will work for good." Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, the first couple times I heard it, I was like, "That's funny, you know? Like that's kind of how I feel, you know." And then he says, when the when the guard leaves, he says, "God, um, is little Joe here? You know, remember little Joe? You know." He says, all these things are not working in my favor, but can you remember who I am? And maybe, you know, like, throw me a bone kind of thing. And I said, wow, yes, that's exactly, that's exactly how a lot of us feel sometimes. You know, when you feel, when you feel like something you really wanted, but you didn't get, you feel disappointed with God. Or it's, you know, something else or something's taken away from you or something that you thought you were going to get or that maybe you thought God told you he was going to give you and you didn't get. But God is there with you. So you have to, have to pay attention and let him show you how he's been there. Because if I would have been so angry and never had this feelings clear, I would have never seen how God was there the entire time. And let me tell you something else. I used to cry in the room and cry on my knees in this bed. No one knows that but my immediate family. And I would just sit there and cry all day and all night and just say, God, you know, you're so wrong for doing this to me. You're so wrong. And, you know, it was hopelessness. And Misha came over my house, and I've seen her around here when I come over here, but we've actually never talked. So she's sitting on my couch, and we're all kind of sharing what we're going to talk about at the conference. And then she says, I have something to add when Cynthia says, if anybody has anything to add before we go home. And she tells me that God was holding me in a bed. That's what she saw. She saw a bed. She saw me hunched over crying and she saw God and he had me wrapped around his arms. So God never left me. He never left me. And God didn't kill my daughter. He wanted me to have her just as much as I wanted to have her. And when I cried and didn't sleep and all those nights where I questioned everything that I have ever heard about God, he was there too. And he cried with me and he mourned my daughter with me. He 
he was just as sad as I was. How I rebuilt my faith with God. I found that it's okay to question God. Just like you question your dad. My dad drives me nuts, he says. When you ask him something, he says, why do you have to ask? Just do it. I'm like, but why? But just don't ask. And I'm like, why? But if you just explain it to me, even if I don't agree, I'll do it. He's like, don't ask why I'm your father. And it's like, that's not how God wants us to be. If you can ask your dad something, and most dads hopefully are not like mine, um, they, they, God will tell you at his time. That's another thing. You have to be patient because I'm very impatient. I want to know why and I want to know why now. And I've had to learn that some things will remain unanswered because it's not time for me to know now. And I have to just kind of self get up and be like, all right, Lord, you know what? We'll leave it. And every now and then I'll remind him, hey, Lord, you know that question I asked you a couple years ago? You might want to give me an answer now if you want to, but I'll still wait if you don't. And then you have to be at peace with what you know, with what you know happened and how it happened. And if you need help, you need to seek help. You know, sometimes I feel, growing up I was told, you know, if you have a problem or something, just pray to God and he'll, you know, he'll fix it. Which is true. But also, God left a lot of sources out here for us to be helped by. You know, so my husband and I could have been like, you know, we're just going to deal with this death on our own. We're strong. We can get through it. But we weren't. We needed help. You know, so we went to therapy, and we're still going to therapy, and it's almost a year. And I'm not ready to let go of therapy. And God has put all these organizations there, doctors, whatever it may be, because sometimes we need to reach out. And it's like Meryl and Misha have been saying, sometimes it gets hard. It gets hard and, and you get you know, flashbacks of things and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to reach out to someone, you know, someone at church or someone that you trust and they're not going to judge you and I hope they don't and if they do, you got to find someone else and, and keep getting help, like getting help and talk about it and whatever it may be, however you may feel someone is there to listen and you know god uses all kinds of people all kinds of different things so you are never alone in whatever you are going through god is always there but you have to be willing to see so sometimes we're in so dark dark places that you questioned everything and like I said, that's okay to do, but you need to know when it's time to get help. Because if I wouldn't have asked for help, if I wouldn't have gotten to therapy, maybe my husband and I wouldn't be where we are today. So it's so important to know that. And know that whatever it is, maybe you used to abuse drugs or maybe you're doing something that you don't feel comfortable about, or maybe 
you know, you question your sexuality or whatever it is, it's a journey. So not because, oh, God showed me this or I saw a dream or God made me feel this. It's done and said, close the book. I'm never going to feel like that again. It's a journey. Sometimes I wake up and I feel really good. And some days I cry over everything. Nate is going through a stage where he's crying over every single thing. His cookie falls and breaks in half and he wants me to glue it back together. Then he'll cry for 45 minutes over his cookie. And sometimes I'll cry with him because I'm having such a bad day. And he'll say, Mommy, are you okay? Are you okay? And I say, yes, I'm going to be okay. I'm not okay, but I'm going to be okay. And God understands that. He understands that we're not perfect. You know, just like your parents do. Your parents, you know, even though they give us a hard time about it, our parents know that we're not perfect. Sometimes we're going to fall, and then we have to get right back up, right? But God, this is, this is what you need to know is, what are you going to do with the things that are happening in your life that are testing you? Are you going to let them determine the type of life that you're going to live? Or are you going to use those things and bring more lives to God? You know, I mean, that's really what this whole thing is about. This is why I'm telling you my story. Because I want you to think about something, whatever it is that's brought you here, or whatever it is that you're just not happy about, or it's not quite where you need it to be. You need to ask yourself, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to fold over and say, you know what? God, you didn't really give me this, so... I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. So, last, it's been over, maybe like a little bit over 10 days. Um, my father was coming back from Guatemala. And he was kidnapped in Mexico. And we got a phone call, my I got a phone call that I never answer because I don't answer private phone calls. So I never answered it, but my brother did. And it was kidnappers who were holding my father and were threatening to kill him if we didn't deposit some ransom money. And the FBI got involved and we've been dealing with this for about 10 days. Um, and it's been really awful. You know, it just seems like something you, like Misha said, you, you see in the, in the novella, but not something that happens to you. And so we were thinking, like, dude, can't we just get a break? Like, we've had so much happen to this family. And, you know, instead of saying, okay, all right, the enemy has won this. And then Cynthia said, are you okay to meet? You know, you know I know there's a lot going on. And I said, yeah going to meet. I said, you know what, enemy? You're messing with the wrong family. You know? We have way too much. And every day for the past four days, they've been telling us they're going to release him. Um, and then every morning, yeah, we're going to do it tonight. And then my dad's still there. And last night, while most of my family was here, my dad was actually released. And and 
into God's glory. We'll be FaceTiming with him later today. So he's already back in the States being briefed by the FBI, which should be really fun. Um, so, you know, this is a, a lot of the time when I tell people this story and obviously a brief version of it, people are like, that's so sad. Oh my gosh, I don't think that I could have gone through that. But I don't tell you this because it's a sad story and I want you to feel bad for me. I tell you this because I want you to use it to your benefit, you know? I want you to use this and say, that place where she was, that was really dark. So you can either talk about me or <laughs> you can say, wow, you know what? She can do it and she was pretty bad. Then I can do it too, you know? And, and start looking at those little, little signs and you'll see that God, he's never left you, even when you feel like he has, because he's our father and our, your father would never leave you. So I just want everybody to close your eyes and think about what it is in your life that maybe is making you unhappy, or hasn't quite been what you've been wanting it to be or met the expectations of what you thought or maybe even when God has let you down and when you feel like, why is this happening to me, Lord? Anything and everything, it all comes together and think about those things and just give them over to God and understand that he's never wanted anything bad to happen that he wants you to be just as happy and he wants to love your heart. He wants you to just give everything over to him. Don't let those things determine where you're going. You determine where you wanna go and God will hold your hand the whole way through. Thank you.